you're watching Stockwatch, welcome to it. I'm Zanati Kuma. Let's wrap up the weekend markets. Joining us for Stockwatch this week, independent analyst Jimmy Muyaha. Thank you so much for your time, Jimmy. Um, there's turmoil in the UK and uh, there's a lot going down today. So I'm wondering if we should start ringing the alarm or if the guilt market is doing that for us already. <laughs> <laughs> Good afternoon, Zanati. Good afternoon to our viewers. You know what, I think um, following, not just before we even get to today, following yesterday's US CPI data and the way the markets reacted to that later on in the evening, it's clear to see that there are alarm bells being rung across the world for various reasons. Um, it's, it's really just one of those things where we're, we're still in the Wild West and we're still trying to survive. Um, yeah. So you're seeing that there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of growing skepticism, there's a lot of things that are at play. I mean, we know that the UK um, Chancellor flew from um, his IMF conference, flew back to deliver a press conference in the UK urgently off the back of um, the rumours around the possibility of tax cuts in the UK, and then the um, conflicting reports around whether or not that is going ahead or not going ahead, and it seems like there's a divided opinion from the Bank of England and from what the Chancellor is saying. And so it, it's really turmoil um, across yeah. the board. It's, it's not, nobody's really immune to it. We're seeing it on the local front as well. Some yeah. stocks um, are, pl are plummeting more than expected off the back of news, uh, guys like Telcom, for example. So it's really just, um, it's open season everywhere at this point. All right. We're going to come back to Telcom in just a bit. Um, but just uh, still on macro, uh, what are you expecting for U.S. earnings? Because that's kicking off today. Yeah, so U.S. earnings seasons, I mean, we, the anticipation is, of course, um, company like Apple will be a big driver, uh, big driver on the tech side of things, big uh, directional um, indicator around the performance of tech stocks. We know that for the longest time, U.S. equities have um, taken a lot of uh, damage and a lot of flack. We know that NASDAQ has come down from um, all-time highs of 16,000 points down to as low as 11,000 points. Uh, there's still room for downside on equities across the board, regardless of sector you're looking at. Uh, we know that JP Morgan and other banks have start, are going to kick off those earnings uh, reporting uh, from their perspective. Uh, and I think the earnings uh, is going to be a telling tale of what we can expect from U.S. Uh, market, U.S. equity markets. Mm. We know that there's been a lot of other inflationary uh, pressures and a lot of decisions by central banks, and, and that's had a, a knock-on effect on the markets. But what we haven't accounted for up to this point is um, how all of those decisions are going to affect uh, numbers for companies. Yeah. So up to this point, I mean, some of the companies might have been able to weather those storms and weather, weather those headwinds. But you might see that uh, in earnings season now, because of where interest rates are and where uh, those elevated levels might remain for the coming future, you might see companies in their earnings statements give cautious forecasts, forecasts yeah. going forward in terms of Q4 and to wrap up the year, and they might downgrade some of their uh, outlooks for uh, Q3, Q4, whatever quarters that they're reporting on. Mm -hmm. And that might be the more telling sign there is to say that companies acknowledge that the impact of the central or the Fed's decision making uh, yeah. and the interest rate decisions there is going to have a knock on effect on their earnings, which we haven't seen in full effect up to this point. Yeah, that's the thing, because now there have been a lot of people saying that they're nervous that we might start to see an earnings recession. And now, of course, the big question is, has the market fully priced that in, which I don't think they have. Let's go into a question here. <laughs> We blame the instability of the markets on rate hikes, inflation, possible recession, energy crisis, 
food shortage, supply chain issues, etc. Aren't all these issues directly or, or indirectly the result of the war? And so can we not say that markets will only stabilize when the war's over? Quite an interesting question. But then you have some of those things like inflation that were there even before the mm. war, but they were only mm. exacerbated by it. Your thoughts? Mm. Well, I mean, the question is a warranted question. It is justified. It does um, carry merit to it in that a lot of things ca could have been avoided um, had the war not taken place. But at the yeah. same time, what you need to look at is, uh, as you mentioned, Zanati, that certain things were there before the war. We had supply chain shortages as far back as COVID, even before the Russia-Ukraine war. Um, we know that the main thing around the war is not necessarily, um, yes, a war in any form is a bad situation. Nobody wants that, and it has got ripple effects. But we can also look to the fact that the governments around the world and their responses towards the war have had an impact on this as well. I mean, leveling sanctions against countries, um, lifting, talking about lifting sanctions against other countries and they're not doing that. Um, you know, th those sorts of geopolitical uh, conversations have yeah. got an impact as well. Because if you look at what's happening with uh, Europe and Europe is going into their winter and December is going to be sort of peak uh, time for, for their winter and their gas requirements and all of that, you're yeah. seeing that the fact that the pipeline, the Nord Stream pipeline going into Europe from Russia being turned off at this time is a critical thing. Yeah. But at the same time, Europe has also imposed sanctions on Russia for the war. So yes, the war is definitely a factor. It's not a factor we can ignore. It's not a factor that we can say didn't cause uh, or didn't exacerbate any of the situations, of course. But there are other elements of that you have to look at as well that mm. would have not helped the situation at all, yeah. not helped resolve the war and not helped the supply chain problems and not um, helped solve the energy crisis, yeah. you know. So um, there are other factors at play there. Yeah. yeah, and of course, when the war is over, we can expect a large stabilization there. But also the question is, when will it end? That is the big question. Um, yeah, but I mean, if, yeah. and even when the war does end from that perspective, it's not to say that if Russia ceases oh, yeah. everything in the Ukraine to overnight, everything's going to go back, back to normal, normal inflation's yeah. going to go back to zero and all of that. Those things have already taken place. Yeah. Are those sanctions going to be lifted immediately? Is it going to take a while for those things to happen? Repairing the damage is not as simple as uh, Vladimir Putin waking up and saying, all right, we're leaving the Ukraine, yeah. everything go back to normal. And, you know what I mean? And there so are some things that have changed effect. fundamentally. Yeah, I Absolutely. That will never go back to being the same. Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, you mentioned Telcom uh, earlier on, and there's a question here. Since the talks between MTN and Telcom have stalled, does that justify a 20% drop in share price? And if so, uh, where are those 20% sellers going? Is there a better <laughs> deal out there? I don't know about. Could they not be going to MTN? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, MTN has been one of the strongest performers, right? Mm. And if you remember back... Um, around July or so, we saw uh, about a 20% increase in the telecom share price. So this was on the anticipation of the fact that we might see this deal happen. Um, so I think in part, the markets are um, jittery already. And so significant news is never going to blow. It, it might be um, overextended or oh, over-exaggerated okay. in terms of reaction. Yeah. Um, we know that the telecom share price is trading down about 8 or 9% at the moment. Um, but I think there's 
the overall concern here it might not necessarily be from an investor standpoint. It might not necessarily be that telecom's valuation is too high and this num this price is unjustified and therefore the price needs to go back to forty rand or something. But again, we you can't discount the fact that there was that significant move uh, around mid July. It was a twenty four percent move almost in a day um, off the back of these sorts of conversations. So you can anticipate that when you hear news around the stalling of that, particularly in line with investors are looking for returns at this stage. Investors are looking for some level of surety. Yeah. Markets are not providing that. The RAND is not providing that against major currencies. You're not getting that. For, you, you, you're getting levels of the top 40 sitting below 60,000 points and yeah. struggling to break back above that. So everybody is on edge already. And so any bit of news could mm. tilt more so than what it normally would. Um, and it might be considered an overreaction in some respects. Talking about that, actually, I wanted to ask about SAPI because you talk about markets really willing to sell on any kind of bad news and markets really willing to buy on any kind of good news. And we've had SAPI, um, I, I guess, a counter that previously... Um, investors were quite conflicted about because it hasn't always shown consistent results. But now we are seeing uh, in this current financial year consistently coming in with record results. And I'm wondering if markets actually believe that SAPI has really turned a corner or if they're just buying on any kind of good news. Well, I think to a certain extent, um, you, you, you can't deny the good news. I mean, you look at a company like SAPI, you take into account a company like Mondi as well, that's also reported, uh, that issued a trading statement as well there. And they, the, the positive numbers are undeniable, and positive numbers are always going to be received very, very positively, regardless of um, whether or not the, the market is looking, too, uh, looking into it too much or not. The more positive the results and the stronger the company's performance, you, you're in a market condition where um, investors are struggling to find companies that are going to give you consistent performance and consistent returns. Yeah. Uh, your dividend yielding stocks that, would tradition, that are not traditionally blue chip stocks or guys that have been struggling to deliver dividends, when they finally are able to, uh, to do something like that or when they're finally able to show uh, a bit of positivity, it is a good thing for the market to, to interpret. I mean, we know SAPI's bounced off of those 40 Rand lows. It's sitting at around 50, uh, 50 Rand or so. Whether or not we've got enough gusto in it to break the 62 uh, Rand highs that we've seen recently remains to be seen. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's a whole other conversation. But I think um, markets are very welcoming of good news. And um, at, at a time like this, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Talking about company um, uh, uh, investors looking for companies that will consistently give them good news and good returns, I want to talk about Grinrod shipping because that's, uh, that's basically been a pandemic darling and also benefiting from the kind of supply chains uh, issues that we are seeing. And so with now uh, these talks of a takeover by uh, Taylor Maritime Investments in the UK, there are some investors that are saying, because at first there seemed to be some investors that were saying that uh, they need to go higher. Taylor Maritime needs to go higher. Um, but then you had other investors that are now saying that actually maybe shareholders of Grinrod shipping should be all right with the timing because now we've seen shipping rates actually shipping and freight rates actually slowing down so maybe this is the right time because maybe they won't be churning out those as good uh, returns as we had been seeing uh, most recently what do you have to say about that where are you on uh, which camp are you on there you know, I think at this stage, um, both sides of the argument carry a lot of weight and there is a lot of valid um, 
uh, push for either side. I mean, if you remember, um, TMI bought about 26% in 2021. They've now come back to say, okay, cool, this is the offer we want to make. Um, we want to value, I mean, the deal effectively values Grinrod at about $500 million, uh, well, Grinrod shipping at about $500 million. Now, whether or not that valuation is overextended in the current market conditions is difficult to say because um, if you had had this exact same conversation at the end of 2020, at the start of 2021, when you and I were sitting uh, discussing the fact that uh, markets are pricing in that COVID is over, we're moving on, nothing else is happening, we're returning to normal, the valuation would have certainly been different from high inflationary markets, demand slowing down, China lockdowns continuing to extend, and that sort of thing. So I think both sides of the argument do carry weight, and you need to look at the fact that the uncertainty that presents itself going forward, knowing one, as you rightly mentioned, we don't know the ending of the timelines of the Russia-Ukraine war. It's yeah. already been going on for eight months. We don't know the ripple effects once, the, once everything ends and the dust does settle. We don't know how long it's going to take for demand to return to pre-war levels mm. and then even pre-pandemic levels. So at this stage, some shareholders might be saying, look, the, that level of uncertainty makes me uncomfortable. Mm. Maybe this deal is a good deal. We get out um, yeah. and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, from TMI's perspective, uh, it, it's very difficult to see how TMI is going to be low-balling Grunrod shipping in this offer when they themselves are taking on a level of uncertainty in the market uh, as well. Okay. Quite, quite an interesting point that you bring up there. Uh, we have about 30 seconds. Jimmy, what's your stock pick for today? Well, Willem took my stock pick yesterday. It was cash. <laughs> cash is always, oh, at, this, at times like this, you, you don't want to be meddling too far. But I mean, um, I'm looking at Cura Holdings. And uh, the reason for that is I've, I've always had a soft spot for the private education space. We know that that space is going to continue to do well. Uh, Cura at the moment's valuation is below 10 Rand a share, which I'm liking uh, particularly for that reason. We know that it might take a while to get back up to 14 Rand. Maybe um, we're, we're a long way off from 65 Rand a share pre-pandemic levels, of course. Uh, but at the levels we're sitting at, at the valuations we're sitting at at the moment, you you don't want to be overextending yourself into spaces where markets can still come down. And Kuro, much even though it's trading at significant discounts, it could still further come down. But at the current levels, I think for the level of volatility we're seeing, we saw mining stocks yesterday take mm. um, a bit of a beating. We've seen, as you mentioned earlier, Talcom taking a beating off the back of news and that sort of thing. You want to be looking at uh, a longer-term play that's going to sort of yeah. be a calmer um, stock approach, given okay. that cash is better at the moment. But if I'm going to be held to if a stock, must. it's going to be Kira at if the moment. Must. If I must. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so, so much for your time and your insights, Jimmy. That was independent analyst Jimmy Muyaha.